Father in heaven, um, thanks for today. Thank you uh, for the, the cooling weather. Thank you for that it was cold this morning a little bit, kind of. Um, Jesus, thank you for giving us the space, for giving us the freedom to worship you um, here in this country. I just ask that as we today wrestle with um, your truth and your words, uh, that you would give us a peace in our hearts, that you would give us a courage to embrace truth. Um, And Holy Spirit, uh, make us aware um, of the places where we're just stubborn. Um, But in all of those things, God, I want to acknowledge that we are in different places. Um, We are in a place of where we're trying to hold it together in our minds, and it's hard. And we're in a place where we're trying to hold our emotions together, and that's hard. Some of us are in a place where we're just excited to be here and to to see and to learn. Um, But we're here, God, so please honor that. And we ask that you bless our time in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, We are in this uh, series on the village at some level or another because we're having a belonging service, I believe, one, two, three weeks from now. Um, And what we're doing for the belonging service, and hopefully, I said last week you'd have your tiles this week, but we're not going to have them until next week. Um, But you're going to get a little white tile, and you will have the opportunity to decorate that. And then we're going to take that little white tile, and we're going to go glue it on our garden out there. Now, there are two ways to belong at the village. One way to belong is just to say, hey, I'm not sure I believe in this Jesus thing, but I really like the people here. I like the food that most people feed us. I like that they care about my dietary issues. And so I want to be here. So one of the ways you can belong is just make that little art project and say, look, this says I belong. I'm glued to the garden. Right? The other way to belong is to say, hey, I am a follower of Jesus. I can agree with the basic ideas of the Apostles' Creed. And... I want this community to be my community, the community that I give my money to, the community that holds me accountable, the community where I will offer my gifts and my talents and hope to receive those from other people. And so you will, we have a covenant, and you can find that covenant online. It'll be in the email. Eventually, you'll be able to pick one up out there in the entryway. Um, read that over. It's just a little bit of an expanded bit of the Apostles' Creed, kind of explaining where you find the different ideas in Scripture. Um, and so you can, you can sign that on that day. Usually we have all the kids in here, and we have a big potluck of some sort, I believe, because we don't want somebody cooking on the belonging service. don't remember quite how we do that, but we'll figure it out by the time the belonging service comes. That's how we are. Um, so anyway, this week... We're going to talk about a little bit more about this phrase that you hear all the time at the village, that the village is about healing the city one person at a time, and kind of maybe how that developed and offer you kind of hopefully an inspiration out of all of that. Um, So when I was in the ninth grade, uh, I was a freshman. That would be ninth grade, right? That works out. Um, And I was new to this big church I was new to Tucson, and this guy named John Burkholder, um, who was getting his law degree at the university, decided he was going to gather up a bunch of freshmen and do a Bible study. And so he picked me, 
And he started doing this Bible study. So he invited us all to his place, and we would memorize Scripture, and we would talk about the Bible. And you know how ninth graders are. We would try to have really philosophical conversations or just be utter idiots. Um, And he put up with all that. But not only did he put up with all of that, he would take us up Mount Lemmon. He was my first introduction to real hiking. We would drive all the way to the top of Mount Lemmon, and then someone would drop us all off, and then we would hike all the way down to the bottom um, in a day or two. And he taught me this trick that when I tell people who are hikers this trick, they look at me like I'm weird. But this is what we used to do, is we would take a little Tupperware jar, and we would fill it half with Gatorade, and then we'd put an egg in the middle, and then we'd fill it the rest of the way with Gatorade. That way our egg wouldn't break, and we could have Gatorade, and we'd have scrambled eggs in the morning So when we hiked, and that was his little trick. But anyway, John, <laughs> I just remembered that. But he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to put up with ninth graders. But he felt called to that. He felt compelled to it. I'm not sure if it was something he wanted to do. I don't know. But he invested in me, and he invested in me for an entire year, two years, maybe, I think, and probably began to lay the foundation for me being here and being a pastor. He didn't know that. He just thought I was a shy little ninth grader who was probably too smart for his own good, right? And he invested in me. Tonight, we're going to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and we're going to look at a story about Jesus encountering a woman at the well. So Jesus is on a walk, basically, and he he decides that he needs to leave. um, I think it's, let's see. He needed to leave Judea, and he needed to come down to Galilee. So if I remember right, and I probably get this backwards, but I think Galilee is up in the north, right? And Yep, and Judea is down the bottom, and Samaria is right in the middle, okay? And so to get to um, Galilee, if you were a Jewish person, you wanted to go around Samaria. So you had to cross the Jordan like twice, and it took like four or five days. And there was a lot of reasons why you didn't want to go through Samaria. Samaritans in general were people um, who supposedly, you know, they were a mixed race. They they didn't worship at the temple. There were all these conflicts between them and the Jews. Um, The rabbis had all of these mean statements about Samaritans. You know, like it was better to just, you know, to hang out with a Gentile all the time than ever even look at a Samaritan. They had weird things like that. And so nobody usually went through Samaria unless you were in a hurry. And so you would, because it only took three days. And so the Samaritans knew that the Jews didn't like them. So if they figured out you were a Jew and you were headed through Samaria, they would harass you and try to delay you as much as possible. Right? They knew you didn't like them and they wanted to irritate you. Right? That was their thing. So Jesus decides to take his disciples and go through Samaria. Now first I've got to apologize because there's somebody in here who's named Samaria and I'm going to use Samaria over and over again. And the question that I'm going to ask is, what is your Samaria? What is our Samaria? Okay? And I want you to think of it on a personal level because it was so 
Jews did not want to go through there. They were willing to inconvenience themselves instead of do that. And we all have these. Some of it is people in our life who are just completely on the opposite end politically. Some of us, for us, the, the, our Samaria are just being involved and are in relationship with people who are just, you know, they're, they're irritating to us, right? Some of us have Samarias inside of us. There are little things in our life. Um, maybe it's, you know, it's the fact that we know we should go on a diet, but we just avoid that idea all the time. We think diet, and then we go a different direction, Right? We have these internally, things that we avoid. We know we're supposed to deal with them, but we avoid them, right? I want you to think about that. What is your Samaria? What's the thing right now that you tend in your life to avoid? You're like, I know I need to deal with it. I know it would be easier if I faced it, but I'm not going to do it. And so you have all of these convoluted ways of avoiding things, right? It might be also that God is pressing on you to do something. You know that he wants you to get involved in some way. He knows that you want you to offer something, and you're yet you're like, nah, I don't want to do that. What I, I want to invite you tonight is just to think about what that is and consider facing it because you do not know the impact it will have on this world. That the internal Samarias that you have and the external ones, the longer you avoid them, I would argue you're missing out on what God has to do in your life and the people's lives around you. Okay? And you don't know exactly what that is until you do it. So, we're going to jump into our story. Jesus takes his disciples through Samaria, and we're going to pick up the story in verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of Jacob, the ground of, let's see, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, I just want you to, there's a little line in here that I didn't pick up until this reading, which was this word had. Jesus had to go through Samaria. It wasn't like Jesus thought, oh, I should go through Samaria. Oh, maybe I'm going to do that. Jesus had to go through Samaria. So I want you to think about those things that God might be calling you to and, and, and ask, Am I, is this something that I have to do? Is this something that God is compelling me to do? Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, I'm going to argue to you that because Jesus was so connected to the Father, he knew he had to go, but I don't necessarily think he knew why he had to go. Right? He didn't know why he had to go, but he had to go. The other thing you need to take note in here is that it says it was the sixth hour. Now, for those of you who've been in the church for a long time and have heard this story, a lot of times you hear that this is based on the Jewish clock, meaning it's noon. It's probably not noon. It's probably based on the Roman clock, and it's in the evening. 
He's just traveled all day. He's tired, and he sits down by the well. Like, this is kind of the scene that we have. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So first off, this is not a sweet little conversation, right? Jesus is tired. He's sitting by the well. His disciples are thoughtless, is my guess here. They went to go get food, and they took the thing that he drops down, the little leather pouch that's on strings that they all carry, that you drop down into this well to pull the water up. Okay, so he's sitting there where water is with no capacity to get water. And here comes the Samaritan woman and he says to her, can you get me a drink? And she's not saying, oh, well, it's so cool that this Jewish man talked to me. Like, I'm like, I'm so touched by you. No, it's adversarial, right? And think about, and I know I'm playing with this metaphor a little bit, but think about this. The things that are in your life, the people that God has called you to, the things that you need to face internally, they're not like really pleasant. They're not things where everything's just going to be hunky-dory as you face them or as you involve yourself with people who are difficult, right? And you're offering yourself. She says to him, like, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why are you asking me for water? Okay, Now, Jesus answers her, and here's sort of his ninja-like skills. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Right? So she's kind of being a smart aleck. So he's a smart aleck right back. He's like, well, if you knew who was asking you, you'd be asking me. Right? But there's something interesting about this. So yesterday we had our drumming circle, which is our family meeting. And in that family meeting, we looked at John 14, where Jesus says that he's giving us the Holy Spirit and that you, you and I, everyone, will be able to do greater works than him. Remember, and we talked about these works. We're talking about changing water to wine. Okay, Anyone gets to do that. We're talking about feeding 5,000. We're talking about resurrecting people, healing people. Right? So we're not talking, like I, when we think about having the Holy Spirit, a lot of times what we think about when we're given the Spirit of God is that we have like this tepid water inside us or the wise old man who has a few good things to say to us, to give us counsel. But the Holy Spirit is a fire inside us. It's a thing that's about courage. It's the Spirit of God in you. So wherever you go, the Spirit of God is. Right? Well, part of being a disciple of Jesus is that we imitate what Jesus does. So Jesus goes through the place that's difficult for him because he knows he has to go. He meets a woman, and instead of having a kind dialogue, he gets into a sarcastic dialogue, and guess what he says? Do you know who you're talking to? Do any of you feel that way? When you're sitting with people here and you're 
trying to offer goodness, and they're being snarky. Do you think, do you know who you're talking to? A person with the Spirit of God. When you're out in the community offering good things to people, offering things to the people you work with, do you think, do you know who you're talking to? If you knew who was inside of me and who I am with, you would be asking me to get to know them. If you knew that. Right? One of the things we said last yesterday was that when we walk with the Father, fathers give us confidence, right? That's the role of fathers, to give us identity, tell us who we are, and give us a confidence in that. We see that Jesus is so connected to him that he doesn't know why he's going until he meets the Samaritan woman, and then he says to her, do you know who you're talking to? As you face the things, even the fear and anxiety and the things that you have to deal with, do you say to the, the issues even internally in you, do you know who you're dealing with? Anxiety, depression, you're dealing with the Holy Spirit. You're dealing with the God of the universe. So she's not all that impressed with this whole thing. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? So Jesus is not deterred. He says, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I gave him will become in him a spring of water welled up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me the water so that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Okay? So she's still not tracking. Right? She, but Jesus says, Look, like this water is this stagnant stuff. The thing that I have to give you will give you life. I just want you to meditate on that for a second. If we're to be Jesus' disciples and to follow him, there is a confidence in what we have to offer. Jesus was confident in offering himself. We have him to offer. We have Jesus to offer. And so Jesus says, hey, I've got the living water. And she's like, yeah, okay. Does that mean an endless supply of water? Like, are you going to hook me up and I'm not going to have to come out here? So this is where Jesus gets a little bit more ninja-like. He told her, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, a lot of times, probably when you've heard this preached on or when you've read it, what you think you're hearing is, Okay, she's had five husbands, and the one she's living with isn't her husband. So she's been divorced five times, or she's married all the family's brothers until they've all died. And then she just said, I'm giving up on that, and she got another one. But actually, I've been reading through a bunch of commentaries because it's never made that much sense to me because that's not a big secret. Um, And yet what we find out later in the story is that a secret is revealed in, in her life. What probably the language is saying is that you've had five husbands. You've not been married five times. You've had five other wives' husbands, right? 
You've, you've had, you've been, and the one that you're with right now is somebody else's husband, not your husband, right? Which kind of puts this into, a, you know, a much more, okay. And it, it kind of explains her response to this. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. Now, there are two ideas I want to talk about. One, anytime you and I are told what's going on in our life and secrets are revealed, and this happens, you know, when I'm actually parenting and disciplining my children, and you're giving, and I'm in that, that good lecture, and as soon as I take a breath, they're like, oh, hey, and they completely turn, change the subject as if what I said was not what they want to talk about anymore. We, we all do this. When the spotlight is put on us, we got to think of something else to talk about because we don't want to talk about that, right? We, when we're put on the spot, and she does that, she's like, hey, there's this big controversy about where we should worship. I noticed that you're a prophet because um, you just told me everything about my life. Now, if we're Jesus' disciples and we're to do greater things than Jesus, then God has to reveal things to us because Jesus didn't just, it wasn't like he was like, okay, like plan number, okay, on date, there's the Samaritan woman, here's the details about her, like I better remember that, I got to work on this, I'm going to practice so that when I see her, no, God, the father gave the son a special revelation about the woman, right? here's probably something you don't do as a follower of Jesus that I'm going to invite you into. Because if you're going to go through Samaria, you're going to do the things that are difficult for you, the things you've been avoiding, if you're going to step into Jesus' footsteps and, try and offer yourself and think, I have the Holy Spirit, I have Jesus, then you're going to have to ask him for special revelation. Okay, what does that mean? Well, that means that when you come to church on Sunday and God moves your heart to talk to that person that you don't want to talk to, you're going to have to ask Jesus, okay, Jesus, would you tell me what's going on in their life? Or when you're walking up to the cash register and you see this woman and you feel like, man, I should talk to her, you're going to have to say, Jesus, please tell me what's going on in this person's life, right? And here's the thing, most of you are not used to doing prophetic things, right? You're not used to saying, and I think this is going on in your life, or here's the word of the Lord, or this is what I think, or this is what I hear God saying, because you're terrified of being wrong, right? If you go and say, I think God is saying this to you, you're, you're afraid of being wrong, right? And I'm not talking about you going up to pregnant ladies and saying, God has told me you have, you're going to have a boy, Right? You got a 50-50 chance on that one. Um, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about true, genuine speaking into people's lives in order to draw them to Jesus and asking for him to reveal those things to you. Guess what? You're going to be wrong. You might be wrong half the time. And part of the reason for that is, is you don't work that muscle. Jesus has worked the muscle. He hears the Father. He... Has a, he's abiding with the Father. He knows what's going on because he's used to saying, okay, so what's going on? Reveal what's going on. Reveal what's going on. And then he does it, right? Now, for you and me, 
We have to practice. So you can say, I think God's telling me this for you. And the person says, no. You're like, I'm so sorry. I guess he's not. Let's try again. Let me pray. <laughs> right? It, it, you have to practice. But you have to ask. Right? Because part of healing the city, one person at a time, is understanding that you have an opportunity to speak deeply into everybody's life and God will reveal things to you, right? He will reveal things. So she tries to distract him and here's when you'll know is that when they don't say, no, that's not true, they just go talking about something else. So she wants to know about this controversy and instead of correcting her, Jesus said, believe me, woman, at a time, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when a true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speaks to you am he. All right. So he works this lady into this point where he says, guess what? I'm, I'm it. I'm Jesus. All right. He plays his way through her distractions. The disciples show up. They're kind of surprised. You jump down to verse 28. It says, Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out to the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him to eat. And he goes on to tell about where he gets his food from. But here's the key phrase. Here's the thing that I want you to think about tonight in the context of this. Verse 39 of John 4 says, Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many became, more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. When we talk about healing the city one person at a time, what we're saying as a community is that we're not, we're, we're not coming up with a grand strategy to see everybody follow Jesus in Tucson. We're not, we're not studying the matrix. We're not trying to figure out where the different places are that are best for our evangelism. What we're saying is that inside this community and outside of this community, if we say we're about healing the city one person at a time, we don't know the impact that you and I will have in this world healed. Right? You and I don't know the impact that caring for one person will have on the world and on Tucson. We just don't know the impact. The Samaritan woman shows up at a well. We don't know where our Jacob's wells are, but when we find them, we have to speak into them. We have to be bold because one woman changes a whole city. Right? 
One person changes a whole city. One person changes a whole family, right? One person changes a whole workplace. One person changes a whole church. But I think a lot of us, when it comes to offering Jesus boldly, and I'm not talking just about evangelism, I'm talking about as you look around at the people in here, offering yourself boldly and the gifts that you have, a lot of times it is Samaria for us. It's terrifying. For those of us who are introverts, we don't want to be around anybody or say anything, right? Unless they're just one person. We're good with that part, right? But we don't know what kind of change we're going to make. But if we follow Jesus, I'll tell you there's going to be a change, right? There's going to be a change. So here's what I, what I want to ask you to answer me with your hand. You know, I know we're all really, I don't know, like I watch you guys sing. You're not dancers. I mean, to, to at least worship music. I've seen some of you dance, but that's another story. Um, but like, you know, we're not like we're not hands people. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. But let me ask you this question. Number one, here's a raise your hand. When I talk about so the things that are Samaria's in your life, either people or internally, do you think I have some of those? Raise your hand. Right? Okay, good. When you think about Jesus being giving you a confidence to face those in your life and know that in thinking about yourself as I have Jesus with me, you should listen to me, like that sounds a little overwhelming to you. Like you're like, I don't know about that. Raise your hand. Okay. Sounds a little overwhelming. Okay, like that you could have okay, so having some kind of word of revelation, like where God tells you this is what's going on in somebody else's life, that sounds a little weird to you, but you'd like it. Oh, come on, but you'd like it. Come on, it's a little weird, but you'd like it. Okay. All right, good. This is how I'm going to end tonight. Close your eyes. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to ask that God will reveal those things to you, and will fall on you, and then we're going to spend some time singing and eating together. So, bow your heads. Father in heaven, First, I want to come and confess that I often am a very timid person. I want to confess that I am bound at times by my own anxiety and my fear of what other people will think of me. Um, And I, I don't like the eyes on me even though I'm up here. I want to confess that that's probably true about a lot of us. But God, you saw everybody who raised their hand. They First, they all have these areas in their lives that are difficult and they know that you're calling them through them. They know they have to do them both externally and internally. Um, I would ask that you would remove those from their life, that you would give them the courage to walk through them, to engage the people you're calling them to engage, to face the brokenness and sin that they're wrestling with and, and avoiding. Holy Spirit, I know that you're in us and you're constantly working to transform us, and you're working on us and around us to give us strength and power, but a lot of times we're just not aware because we're not practicing. And so I would ask that you would fall on this church and on these people who raise their hand who want to know. And this week, 
that you would give them special revelations about their neighbors, that you would give them courage to speak those out. And even if they're wrong, give them courage to say, I'm sorry, let me pray some more, and then I'll tell you what I think God says. Give us the courage to practice. Give us a keen ear to your word and help us um, to be aware of your powerful, fiery spirit. And I ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. I look forward to hearing your stories. A couple ways to respond. If you need healing, both in your body, your soul, and your mind, that white chair is a place you can sit in and someone will pray for you. They may even have some words for you. If you go sit in that chair, I would ask that you would make whatever you need prayed for short. All right? Um, So that more people can be prayed for. Second thing, and the way to respond is offering. If you're visiting with us, we're just happy to have you. If, you, if the last person would just pass the basket uh, or put it underneath their chair, that would be awesome. Somebody will pick that up. The third way to respond is through communion, through the table. This is a place where we come and we say, I stand with Jesus' broken body. That breaking of the bread is a representation of God, Jesus' body being broken on the cross for our sins. You're also saying, I stand with Jesus' blood poured out for me. Jesus had to die for your sins. His blood had to be spilled. You're saying, I stand with that. If you can't say, I accept it, I believe in it, and I hold on to it for life, then please don't come up and take the bread and the wine. But if you can, come up and rejoice. Be thankful for what God has done. And the fourth way is to remember that as we sing and as you hear the music, that's the place where we're making an announcement as a community as to what is true. We do that through singing. Singing opens our heart to truth. I invite you to sing or to just enjoy the music being poured over you. But let's respond to God's word.